What a clappy crowd this morning. <laughs> ay, ay, ay. Okay, guys. I'm going to play that three-shell game here. Actually, uh, have my cell phone up here for a reason. So, anyways. Hey, you know, good morning. Welcome. Uh, as Alex said, especially to any uh, new visitors that we might have here. And, and for those of you that um, are listening online, glad that you could join us here. You know, I'm... I'm kind of sad this morning, and uh, I'll give just a half a second. Anybody think of why I might be a little sad this morning? There you go. <laughs> I'm from San Diego, and, uh, uh, you know, they, it was a brutal, brutal loss for the, for the Chargers. But here's the thing. I think it's my fault. <laughs> I, I really do. I think it's, it's my, my fault. I mean, um, I think it might be a prophet. Yeah, I know. Rich, you really? Yeah, I was um, working on my message last night, and, and I get these little prompts that would pop up every once in a while. I have my computer out, my phone, different things. And, and so I was texting my son, who's in Colorado, and he's, you know, obviously a Charger fan too. And I said to him, uh, if I can find it here, let's see. Uh, don't go to sleep. <laughs> he said, I, I, I go, okay, here we go. We were up like 28 points. I said, it's going to be the greatest comeback ever for the other team. The Chargers, the self-fulfilling prophecy of not being able to close out a game, just a two, and then it, um, and then it finally got to the point, oh, now it's just a two-point difference, which means it's going to get to the end of the game. There's going to be a last uh, a field goal at the end of the game, and the Chargers are going to lose uh, by one point. Weston texted back, said, Dad, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> the game ended, and he said, I blame you and your negativity. <laughs> so <clears throat> I may or may not be a prophet. I'm not sure. Uh, anyways, hey, um, why don't you do uh, pray for um, uh, Pastor Chris and Pastor Nick, and then also Nathan Stalsus. They're in Managua uh, right now. I think the, they're going to be coming back tomorrow or Tuesday. Tomorrow, okay. And so they're ministering to with one of our sister churches back there. So, all right, let's get going here. Um, if you weren't with us last week, we kicked off a short three-week series on our mission statement. And uh, many of you are new here, and uh, you haven't uh, read our mission statement, or maybe you've uh, taken a look at it on the wall or in our, our little um, bulletin there. But uh, also for those of your longtime members, uh, we decided that it's always uh, it's good to come back and remind us of the reason why we exist. And so what I wanted to do is I wanted to re repeat a little bit of the setup that Chris used last week to, to help walk us through the second part of this series here. Now, as Chris mentioned, our mission statement is in the bulletin that you received. Um, read it together last week. I'm just going to read it for you. It says, Linworth exists to help the spiritually lost and wounded join a community of people becoming fully alive, fully mature, and fully on mission through the healing power of Jesus Christ and his word. And so we're, what we're doing is we're taking three weeks, we're going to drill down, we're going to take a look at these, these three phrases that capture and summarize our journey to Christ's likeness. And what they are is fully alive, fully mature, and fully on mission. 
And as Chris also said, that um, it, the, the journey of, of this mission statement, how we apply it into our lives, it's just not an individual process here. It really is a community of us coming together as a church, as Christ's bride and body. So before we get too much further, let's go ahead and pray. Lord, thank you for this morning. Um, Lord, thank you for the PDHC ministry, and, and those numbers were staggering. Um, Lord, I pray that you'd continue to bless them, that you would divinely bring uh, people, uh, ladies and gals who are pregnant, and their husbands or, or boyfriends or partners into PDHC, that they uh, would um, make a decision to save their baby. I pray that you continue to raise up resources, both spiritually and financially, that they would continue to grow and move. And Lord, we thank you for your word and, and whatever you have for us this morning. We pray that it was from you and by you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Okay. Well, if you are new with us, our mission statement, as Chris said, is in the lobby by the fireplace, which you're going to have to hunt for because with all our uh, construction there. Um, but what we did is we put um, the values and the outcomes that drive our mission statement, we put them on three different boards. Uh, and there are, if you go out here and make a left, you'll see them on uh, the wall, a curved wall. I think it's blue, maybe blue, yeah. And you'll see those there. And um, it's outside the fellowship hall there. So um, we have slides today that you're not going to be able to read the blue, obviously. So those of you with 1515 uh, vision might be able to see it. But um, anyways, but those are up there, and that's what they look like. Um, and there, there's a, one board for each of the fullies, okay? And so on the board itself, then, there's three sections of them. So this week, we're going to be on the second board. Okay, and before we get too much further into the message, I wanted to bring out one word to focus on, on our statement, on our mission statement there, and that word is becoming, okay? And uh, it's important to notice that because without it, the statements of fully alive, fully mature, and fully on mission, they don't make sense, okay? We don't get saved, and then immediately we're fully alive, fully mature, and fully on mission because then we have nothing else to do, Okay. Uh, we haven't completed or participated in any of the values listed, so it's really important to realize when we say any of the, look at any of the boards, um, that we're, we are becoming fully alive, becoming fully mature, and becoming fully on mission. And so uh, it means, what that really, really means for us individually, okay, is that we are all on a journey, all right? We are all in process. We are all at different places in our journey on the path to becoming Christ-like, and that's great. We have brand new believers. We have some of you have been believers for 122 years. We have others of you that maybe just are investigating, you know, what, what is, who's Jesus and, and what is this Christianity about? So, so this week we're going to move from our first board of becoming fully alive to the second board of becoming fully mature. And then after, yeah, so that slide should be up there for you. Good. All right. That works. So after we become followers of Christ, so we become fully alive. And this, you'll find out, actually, this is about the only one that actually isn't immediate, becoming fully alive, although we practice some things in it. God begins to do a work in our lives, leading us to become more Christ-like, and that involves growing and maturing. So let's take a look um, 
um, yeah, growing and maturing. So just like last week, the top section lists the core values of becoming fully mature. Mature. In this case, um, here on the left side here, growing, Christ-likeness, spirit-powered, and discipline. Okay? So the very first core value listed there is to grow. And by growing, or uh, we mean becoming more like Christ. Now we could ask the question, how do we grow, or do we will this? Is this done in our own power? No, it is spirit power by the power of the Holy Spirit, which is the um, third item on there. Meaning the power to grow, to become like Christ, is the, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that means the means of growing is by spiritual practices or spiritual disciplines, which is our fourth value. So we grow, become more Christ-like. It's powered by the Holy Spirit. And we process this and do this by the disciplines that we have and we work through. Okay. Just like last week, there's an icon on each of these boards, okay? Um, last week, we had uh, an acorns on there, and we won't... I won't be able to show you that there. Well, actually, if you go to the three boards, uh, or the, the beginning, excuse me, yeah, the beginning um, foliage of a tree. And this one in the middle here, now we have this full-blown, grown tree. And it's, it's sprouted, it's grown, it's becoming mature, it's like strong like an oak. And um, we used acorns because that's, we know that, that it's a long-growing process for an oak, and, they, and the oak wood is strong, and, and the branches are strong. So um, it's a maturing oak tree. And this happens as we walk and obey God's word. Now, the final section, uh, the bottom half of this, in this case here, I think on the right side, okay, here, are the practical outcomes of growing and maturing. So we have life groups. We engage in community, we grow and mature, not on an island, but with people, with our community, with people here at Linworth. And this is the way that God designed us to function. He's designed us to function in community. So in our case, the most practical way to fully engage is not just on Sunday mornings, but in life groups. In life groups, if you are not a part of one, it's a small gathering of believers where you share life together, you study the word together, you get involved in each other's lives, you begin to uh, resemble, in essence, a small church where many of your needs are met. Uh, in a church this side, we're not huge, but in the same way, the pastors cannot meet all the needs um, that perhaps you might have. And so that happens within the body of Christ because we minister to one another in that. So they're very important. We have probably about 50% and, um, of our members are involved in life groups here at Linworth. It might even be a little bit higher here. So then the next outcome under life, uh, uh, after life groups is that we read, study, meditate, and are guided by God's word. The next one is that we pray, spending time listening to Jesus, praying for others, and yes, even ourselves. And then next, our life follows that of Christ who was a servant, right? Mark 10, 45. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but he came to serve. And then we find out where and how God wants us to serve the body of Christ. And that's by discovering the, the gifts. God has given us each individual gifts. And so as we learn what those gifts are, we begin to be able to minister in the power of the Holy Spirit by the gifts that God has given us. So... Now, 
as we look at this, maybe some of you have noticed this or you've figured this out, but when we talk about the core values of growing and becoming Christ-like and spirit-powered and engaging in spiritual disciplines and in becoming fully mature, what we're really talking about is sanctification, the process of becoming like Christ, being glorified. And so sanctification is the process of becoming fully mature. And so what I wanted to do is I wanted to spend the rest of our time talking about the process of sanctification and how that matures us. Because what it does is it encompasses all the words, both the values and the outcomes we use in becoming on the fully mature board. So what is sanctification? Well, in its most basic form, it's the same word for holiness. And the word for sanctification um, hagi, I'll say it here, hagi osmos, okay, is the same word used for holiness. Holiness meaning to be set apart for a special use. And so to sanctify something is to set apart for a special use. And so when we talk about sanctification, we are also talking about growth in holiness, becoming more like Jesus, and what's interesting, the Bible, as we look at what sanctification is, the Bible kind of gives us three, three iterations of what sanctification um, is. The first one is positional. The second one is progressive. And the third one is complete or ultimate uh, sanctification. So let's take a look at the first one. Uh, the first one is positional. And, and this is the foundational iteration of sanctification because it has to take place. It's the first thing that has to take place in this idea of sanctification. And when does it happen? Well, it happens when, uh, occurs when God sets us apart for himself at the moment that we accept, uh, we become believers. We accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. We become Christ followers. We are sanctified, we are holy, and we are called saints, holy ones, at that moment in time. W.I. Vine says that sanctification is that relationship with God into which men enter by faith in Christ a once and forever. So positionally, that's where we are. He goes on to say, it is not an attainment. It is the state into which God in grace calls sinful men and women and in which they begin their course as Christians. And so it's a work of God here, not us. It's a work of grace. Hebrews 10, 10 says, and by that we will have been sanctified, past action, through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all, a work of God. If we become believers, that act has taken place. 1 Corinthians 1.30 says, And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. And 1 Corinthians 6.11 says, And such were some of you, but you were washed you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. And so theologians, they call this state of holiness um, positional sanctification. Some of them call it definitive. All right. What's the second iteration? Well, the second iteration is called progressive sanctification. Or sometimes it's called experiential uh, sanctification, meaning we experience this in our Christian life. It's, it's not something that's already happened, but it's something that, that follows us until we are with uh, Jesus in heaven. 
And so this is our present condition. We have our past action. We have our present condition. So we are first positionally holy by the blood of Jesus. But here's the thing. We know, wait, we're not, we're not, we're not perfect. We know that. We know we, right? We know the things that we do. We know what goes on in our mind. And so progressive sanctification is the ongoing, incomplete, lifelong, maturing process in which a Christian gradually becomes more holy. In other words, it's the process of becoming fully mature. Pastor and theologian Sam Storms helps us out here defining progressive sanctification or growth in holiness. He defines it as primarily an inner transformation of the intellectual, spiritual, and moral essence of a person, everything that makes us such that one believes, values, desires, and choices are increasingly renovated and renewed and brought into alignment with those of Jesus Christ himself. And then he goes on to say, by God's grace, the believer is set apart unto God as his own possession and inwardly is energized by the Holy Spirit to put to death the deeds of the flesh and to grow in Christ's likeness. And this is a lifelong process in our lives. In John 17, Jesus says this, verse 16. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, and that they also may be sanctified in truth. And then in 1 Thessalonians 4, it tells us that it is God's will for us to be Sanctified. It says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, to become holy. Even Paul gets into the act here. In 2 Corinthians 3.18, he says, And we all, with unveiled face, belonging to the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. And then finally, Peter in 2 Peter 3.18 instructing us, but grow, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So those, that's the second iteration. The third iteration is called complete or ultimate sanctification. It's the same as glorification. So Paul in 1 Thessalonians 5.23, he's praying for the saints there in Thessalonica he says this, he says, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so he comes back and we go with him. This is our future position. And so we have this past action. We have our present condition. And then we have this future position. Philippians 1.6 says, and I'm sure this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Colossians 3, 4. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. 1 John 3, 2. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be, the future, right, has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, that we're going to be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And then finally, Philippians 3.21. I know I'm throwing a lot of scriptures at you, but it's in God's word, right? 
It's where we learn. Philippians 3.21. Who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So our complete or our ultimate glorification when we are finally with Jesus, okay? And since we live right now in the present, let's deal with that a little bit there. And so if that's the case here, let's ask some questions. What does progressive sanctification look like practically, all right? How do I grow to become more like Christ awaiting the future return of Jesus? What does this look like in the process of becoming fully mature? And how do we live out what we are positionally? Well, I'm glad you asked. We're going to see if we can't figure that out, okay? If we look at our, our fully mature list again, we see our goal is Christ-likeness, right? Growing is become Christ-like, becoming like Christ. So in this process of growing and becoming fully mature, that's where we want to get to, becoming like Christ. And then on the list, we see the means on how we live out what we're uh, additionally becoming fully mature. And in that list, it says discipline, okay? In essence, what this is, these are spiritual disciplines or spiritual practices that we put in our life so that we can indeed move towards Christ. And so what are the spiritual practices or what are the spiritual disciplines? Well, here's a simple definition uh, from Pastor Leland Sacconi. He said this. A spiritual practice are ways or means for positioning, positioning ourselves to receive his grace and sanctification. In other words, any activity that helps me to live and to love as Jesus taught and modeled it. And so the things that we do to draw closer to God, the disciplines that we are instructed to, uh, to do, which we'll, we'll name a few of those things, what we're doing is we're just putting ourselves in a place, positioning ourselves to receive what God has for us. And it's very important, okay? Probably important to maybe talk about what spiritual practices are not, okay? They're not just for the spiritually mature. So, you don't, okay, after five years of being a Christian, I can now... Do those things called spiritual disciplines, whatever they are. I don't even know what they are. But I know I can do it. But it's only for mature people. If you just become a believer, no, don't even go there. No, that is not true. We begin right when we become a believer. It's just not for the monastics. So you don't become a believer, and then you travel to a desert somewhere, and, you, and because you're there, and you wear really cool clothes, and you got a hood, okay, that's where spiritual practices happen. No. Mm -mm. And they're not dull. They're not monotonous chores or they're not laws. What they are is they are life-giving. They are life-giving. And so if you, if you, in your mind, if you have to turn that knob for yourself as the spirits, oh, reading my Bible, maybe, maybe memorizing some scripture, maybe, you know, being quiet before the Lord, maybe, you know, praying or getting together with a brother and sister, whatever it is, you've got to turn that knob because you're being put into a place where you can receive and hear from God, okay? Donald uh, Whitney says in his book, Spiritual uh, Disciplines for the Christian Life, he says, we don't practice these things 
for their own sake. These practices are the means, they're not the end. They are the means by which we grow in godliness, obedience, intimacy with Christ. These are the ways by which we can spiritually place ourselves in the path of God's grace and to seek him. Once again, placing ourselves there. So what are some spiritual practices? Things like um, reading God's word, scripture, praying, fasting, solitude, just being and slowing down before and sitting at Jesus' feet. Worship, as uh, Chris so did an amazing job last week. Please, if you were not here last week and you didn't hear Chris's message, I challenge you. It, you it's, a, it's a got to message to listen to, so make sure you you do indeed do that, okay? Um, evangelism, which we're going to get into next week. Serving, stewardship, fellowship, um, uh, the sacraments. In this case here, uh, this morning we're going to take communion. Glad I have that there, okay. And we know this is good. And I think we can buy into the fact that God wants us to mature, Right? that we are to work on becoming Christ-like. I think we all believe, we know that God is going to help us. He says in Philippians 1.6, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. God is always at work in our lives, bringing us close, sanctifying us, progressing this in us. Paul in Philippians 2.12-13, he tells us this. He says, Therefore, my beloved... As you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence when I'm watching over you, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Work through these things. In other words, with reverence, okay? But realize this. He goes on to say, for it is God who works in you, both the will, that means it's God's will here, and to work for his good pleasure. God wants us to be happy in your life. It brings joy to God. It brings joy to God when we are working through these. So how? There, there's, there's all kinds of different ways that we can approach incorporating these disciplines into our life. But um, I just want to propose one kind of practical and I think sustainable way of incorporating this into our lives. And it's something that um, was emphasized and was taught in our Emotionally Healthy Spirituality class and that is um, it's something that Aaron and I have been working on actually for a few years of, of um, trying to put this into play into our lives and crafting it for our lives. Um, when I say this, some of you, you, you know, you just do this naturally in your life because you're so stinking organized. I may or may not like you. It just naturally comes to you, so, okay? Um, but it's developing what's called a rule of life. And it's actually an ancient a practice of, of, of older Christians, um, ancient Christians who did this. And so, Pratel, what is, what is a rule of life? Okay. Well, a rule of life, what it is, it's a personal, it's a customized schedule and set of spiritual practices that is developed over time. And so what it does is it kind of serves as, a, as this structure of rhythms in our lives that keep us abiding in Jesus, abiding in divine right, that helps us to produce fruits of the Spirit in our life. And also it offers us protection during difficult seasons in our lives, okay? What it is is it's a thoughtful, it's a conscious, it's a very purposeful plan 
It's a way to order our lives in such a way that the love of Jesus, the love of Christ, comes before anything and everything else in our lives. Now, I'm not going to dive deeper into this here, but if you want more information, um, you can take the EHS class next time it comes around. Um, But I also do, I do have some printouts, kind of a a format of kind of how to work through beginning to put together a rule of life uh, in your your life. So if you're interested in that on your Connect card, go ahead and just write rule of life, and then I'll work on getting those available for you, okay? Um, All right. So with everything that we've talked about, it's, it's really important for us to understand this, that the spiritual practices... Having a rule of life does not produce the inner transformation of becoming Christ-like, becoming fully mature by the works that we just do in this, okay? God does that. And how does God do that? Well, he does it by the thing that we skipped in our boards. If we show the board up there, the, the wide one, what did we skip? On the left side. Somebody? We talked about grow. We talked about Christ-likeness. We talked about disciplines. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, okay? How does God do it? It's by the power of the Holy Spirit, which brings us to that third value on the mature list here. Um, And this is so, so important. The sanctification process is not trying to just make it happen uh, in our life. And I'll have to chuckle. I was talking to to my wife Erin about this, and in, in San Diego, uh, uh, we had a pastor, I mean, 30 years ago, whatever, at this church, and he used to talk about this a little bit, and he says, like, if you're an orange tree, you know, and you want to produce oranges, you, you just, you don't just, like, you know, you get oranges, and so, um, and it was so, it's such a powerful illustration, and, and, that she remembered, and then I remembered it there, so I just wanted to share that with you. Um, but the sanctification process, becoming fully mature and becoming more like Christ, it doesn't come from human effort. We do have a role, right? We do, we do, we do things, but it is by the power of the Holy Spirit who God gave us for this purpose. In other words, the works of sanctification, the things that we do, are are encouraged to do as we follow God's word and instructed by that, they're ultimately brought about by Jesus through the Holy Spirit. Our character, who we are, is brought upon by the Holy Spirit. It is shaped by the Holy Spirit, which means it's all done by grace from God. Theologian J.I. Packer put it this way. He explained, he says, holiness of life is not precisely a human achievement. However, much of it, much of it demands of human effort. I can't read. It is a work of the Holy Spirit who prompts and energizes the human effort as a part of it. It is a supernaturalizing of our natural lives, a matter of becoming and so of being what we are as new creatures in Christ, a living out behaviorally of what God is working in us transformationally. We do not sanctify ourselves. 
it's important to realize, and, and, and I realize this, that a message like this can put you under the pile. It's like, oh, man, I've got I to do all these things, all right? Um, that's not what this is about. In studying, I came across um, this encouragement by Richard Lovelace in his book, Dynamics of Spiritual Life. He said this. He said, understand this. The rate and the depth at which progress and sanctification takes place in us is determined by you? You think? No. It's determined by the Holy Spirit who is in every one of us. God will proceed at a rate and follow a course which is ideally suited to each one of us individually. But friends, we must engage. We must engage. And we must remember that apart from Jesus, we can do nothing, right? John 15, 5. And we must also remember that God works in us, as we talked about, to will and to do his good purpose. Philippians 2, 13 again. Okay, I want to see if I can bring this all together. Like we're going to land a plane here sometime in the next two hours. Okay. And I want to paraphrase a somewhat known metaphor on how this looks like in our lives. Okay. So some people hear this thing about oh, the, the, the disciplines and becoming mature in Christ. And, um, and you know, the, and they hear this call to practice spiritual disciplines, and they want to get to work. There, there, are, there are A personalities. They're, when this service is over, they're busting out the doors that they haven't done this, and they're starting to make their list, right? They hear a sermon, they read a book, or they read, you know, they don't just read a book. They read 20 books about this on how, right? And then they quickly identify how they need to grow and how they need to change. They make a list, and what we do is we call this sanctification by checklist. You don't want to be sanctification by checklist. You need to chill, okay? <laughs> All right, so, so, so the picture of this, the metaphor of this is that they kind of approach spiritual growth like being in a rowboat, okay? So you're on a river or lake or whatever in a rowboat. And so when you're in a rowboat, who's in charge of moving that rowboat? We're in charge. You're in charge of it, right? You're in total control. You determine where uh, you want it to go. And so you decide which direction, and then you're the one that puts the power to it to get there. If the water is rough, you adjust. Um, if you want to get there quicker, you work harder. If you get tired, you can slow down. So everything is controlled by us. And I think this is natural, because, but, but we get the idea that God wants me to grow mature and he may help me from time to time, but the way that we work is actually we're saying, but really it's up to me. If I want to grow, it's really up to me. i got to do all these things. I do have to make my checklist, and I have to get through these things. Maybe we don't believe that all the way, but our actions speak that approach. Others have the opposite approach to spiritual uh, growth. They see growing in godliness um, like floating on a raft, okay? On a raft, there's, there's, there's no way to propel yourself. It's just there in the water. This is a raft without a rudder. Okay, work with the metaphors. They always break down somewhere, but this one doesn't have a, a rudder, okay? So you're on a raft. There's no way really to propel yourself. There's no way uh, to steer it here. And so you just float down the river, and you go wherever the river directs at whatever speed the current takes you, Right? 
And, and some people would just say, well, you know, God's in control. God's in control. I'm only here because of his grace. And it's only by his grace that I become more mature. I mean, as long as I don't mess it up, as long as I don't fall into to sin, as long as I stay on the raft and I don't jump off the raft, then God's Holy Spirit, his, the current that he's producing, it's going to take me wherever that I need to go. And so really, in, in, in essence, my effort doesn't really mean anything. I just need to let go and let God. Okay? But here's the problem with, here's the problem. The problem with the rowboat mentality is this. It relies only on your effort, on my effort, and it discounts the grace of God and the Spirit of God. So here's the reality of this. You did not come, I did not come to Jesus on my own merit. And you can't grow in Jesus or Christ or become fully mature on your own merit. The Christian life from beginning to end is all the work of grace by God. Ephesians 2.10 says, even tells us that our good works were prepared beforehand for us to do. We didn't do that. We didn't prepare them. God did prepare them. It's not really a proper understanding of the Christian life as we, as we talked about. Okay? So that's the rowboat. What about the raft? Are there any problems with the raft? Yeah. Okay. There are serious issues with the let go and let God. It's not how he designed things for us. What can happen when we're just there and we really don't do anything and we just, we fall into spiritual apathy. You fall into spiritual apathy. When you're not right, reading, praying, fellowshipping, in God's word, um, uh, when you're not doing these disciplines, you kind of move away from God. It's kind of the Kesarasara approach, right? Whatever will be, will be. And it breaks down in our lives. And as we talked about, the New Testament is filled, the opposite is, with active verbs that describe our spiritual life and growth in maturity. So it's not just a floating down with our walk. We are called to different things. We're called to put to death our sins, to strive for holiness, to purify ourselves, to strain forward, to cleanse ourselves. There is effort and work in the Christian life. It is an active faith. Even promises have a condition in God's word, okay? So what's the answer? Well, there's a third way to approach Christian maturity and growth in godliness. And, and it's for all of you to go buy a million-dollar sailboat. Yes! Sailboat! You knew it was going to be a sailboat, right? Yeah, okay. So on a sailboat... Okay, you don't go anywhere without the wind, right? If there's no wind, you don't move. And before you say anything, you do not have a trolling motor on it. Okay? <laughs> I know you were thinking that. In David Kraft's book, Leaders Who Last, um, in his adoption of this metaphor, he said, if the wind is blowing hard, you can go really fast. A sailboat must work with the wind. And yet there's a lot of work for the sailor to do. The seller must cooperate with the wind to make use of its power. The seller needs to know how to set the lines, raise the mainsail, man the helm, turn the tiller, tack, it, uh, into the, tack into the wind, adjust the jib, and bring in the boom. And so the sailor needs to work to keep the boat moving. And yet, 
He's not going anywhere without the wind. It's just going to sit there and go nowhere. And then eventually he's just going to die. It's not in my notes. <laughs> See, folks, it is the Holy Spirit and grace of God that are the driving force. That is the wind. That is the wind in ourselves behind our spiritual growth. And so what God asks us is to work with him as we grow and mature, knowing that without his grace and his spirit, we're not going to go anywhere. We're not going to go anywhere. And so we can think about our training for godliness, maturity, our sanctification, like a sailor in a sailboat catching the wind. And we need to put ourselves in the path of God's grace and God's spirit. And you know, we can only do that if we are spending time with him, if the spiritual disciplines are happening in our life because that's when we are positioning ourselves to catch the wind of God, to catch the wind of God. Think of it this way. A sailor who has seen the power of the wind can't stop himself from hoisting the sails and letting the wind drive him. Okay? That might be the same for us who have seen the power of the Spirit in our lives and others. We just can't stop it. We just want to sail. We want God's wind to blow strong on us. So let me finish here by um, reiterating how important, um, actually I'm going to switch gears just really quickly here. I wanted to finish here by talking about how important community is in our walk with Jesus in this idea of sanctification. In Sam Storm's discussion of sanctification, he emphasized that holiness in life is a community effort. It's not something you seek after in isolation from other believers. It must be lived out in the context of community in a small group setting or something similar. And I agree with him. And you know, as we've taught here at Linworth, we just don't have the strength to do it on our own or the maturity or character to go at it alone. I mean, there might be a few out there that for whatever, it seems they're on that path. But it's very difficult to advance in our, in our Christian lives maturing, working through sanctification, holiness without placing ourselves in a community of other Christians who can hold us accountable and ask the hard questions in our lives. And not only ask the hard questions, but coming alongside, how are you doing? What's going on? Why are you sad? I'm so sorry that happened to you in your life. Can I just sit with you? Can I be with you? Can I pray for you? It's really hard to get far, um, at least I believe this, okay? And um, it, until you find courage, until you find courage, okay? Until you find courage to give people permission to enter into your life and to challenge you about what's going on in your life, your speech, your attitude, your thought life, your use of money, relationships, whatever it might be. And you know where that happens? We've talked about it. It happens, at least in our community, it happens in life groups. And so I just want to encourage you. If you need a list of life groups, uh, we have some uh, on our welcome desk out there. You can grab that. 
It's just a wonderful, wonderful, great place to be. Um, the rest of the outcomes were prayer, um, uh, prayer engagement, serving, gifts discovery. They play out in the community of life groups, okay? They play out there, all those things. So let's close our time here by exercising together as a community, huge life group, okay, of taking communion together, a discipline, okay? So why don't you grab your um, communion cups here. And worship team, you can come up. You're going to be uh, just following along 1 Corinthians 11, which was given our instruction on uh, many times on how to do communion. And uh, uh, so let me read it, and then we'll take, we'll take each element together, all right? Verse 23 says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's partake the bread. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's partake. Lord, I pray what you did for us because of that when we come to know you we are sanctified positionally and because of what you've done and by the sending of your Holy Spirit to walk with us we can learn of you and we can become more like you until that beautiful amazing wonderful time when we are with you thank you we praise you in Jesus' name, amen.